Good morning, and uh, today we're going to look at uh, the word shalom, peace. In Numbers chapter 15, and verses 37 to 41, the Lord God says to Moses these words, Throughout the generations to come, you are to make tassels on the corners of your garments, with a blue cord on each tassel. You will have these tassels to look at, and so you will, rem- you will remember all the commands of the Lord, that you may obey them and not prostitute yourselves by chasing after the lusts of your own hearts and eyes. And then you will remember to obey all my commands. Now in this passage, God tells his people to attach tassels to the corners of their garments, so they will be constantly visually reminded to live as he created them to live. Now, let me give you a little lesson in Hebrew. The word in Hebrew here for corners is the word kanef, K-A-N-A-F. The word for tassel, or sometimes translated fringe, is the word zitzit, To this day, many Jews wear a prayer shawl to obey the text found in Numbers. A prayer shawl is also found in a lot of uh, other places throughout the Bible. And one of the most significant is the prophet Malachi's prediction about the coming Messiah. In Malachi chapter 4 verse 2, the prophet writes, The Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. And the word Malachi uses for wings is the Hebrew word kanaf, the same word in numbers that refers to the edge of the garment to which the tassels were attached. So a legend grew that when Messiah came, there would be special healing powers in his kanaf, in the tassels of his prayer shawl. Now, fast forward to the time of Jesus. A woman has had an illness for 12 years and no one can cure her. She pushes her way through a crowd to get to Jesus. And when she gets close to him, she grabs his cloak. Now, remember, Jesus is a law-observant Jewish rabbi who keeps the scripture commandments word for word including passages like Numbers 15, which means Jesus would have been wearing a prayer shawl. So when the woman grabs the edge of his cloak, she is demonstrating she believes that Jesus is the Messiah and that his tassels have healing powers. She believes that Jesus is who Malachi was talking about. Now, imagine yourself as being part of the crowd. What would you think about this woman? Imagine yourself as one of the disciples and you realise what's happening. What would you think about this woman? This woman believes that this man, Jesus, is the Messiah. She touches his tassels and is healed, just like Malachi said. But I don't think 
that physical healing is the major point here. I think it is what Jesus says to her as they part ways that is of most importance. He says to her, go in peace. Now the word Jesus would have used for peace is the Hebrew word shalom. And the word shalom is an important word in the scriptures. And it is not, I think, completely accurate to translate it simply as peace. For many of us, we understand peace to be the absence of conflict. We talk about peace in the home or in the world. We talk about giving peace a chance. But the Hebraic understanding of shalom is far more than just the absence of conflict or strife. Shalom is the presence of the goodness of God. It is the presence of wholeness, completeness. So when Jesus tells this woman, go in peace, he is placing upon her the blessing on God, of God, on all of her. Go in peace, he's placing the blessing of God, not just on her physical body, he's blessing her with God's presence on her entire being. And this is because for Jesus, salvation is holistic in nature. For Jesus, being saved or reconciled to God involves far more than just the healing of your physical body or even of your soul. It involves all of you. And God's desire is us to live in harmony with him, body, soul, spirit, mind, emotions, every inch of our being. And to say that salvation is holistic is to acknowledge that there are many dimensions to living in harmony with God. In one sense, salvation is what you might term a legal transaction. Human beings are guilty because of our sin. God is the judge who has to deal with our sin because he is holy and any act of sin goes against his core nature. He has to deal with it. Enter Jesus who dies on the cross in our place. Jesus gets what we deserve. We get what Jesus deserved. But Jesus, for Jesus, however, salvation is far more. It includes that legal transaction understanding, but it is far more comprehensive, I think. It is a, a way of life. To be saved or redeemed or set free is to enter into a totally new way of living in harmony with God. And the rabbis called harmony with God Olam Haba, which translates life in the world to come. Salvation is living more and more in harmony with God, a process that in some sense will go on forever. When we understand salvation only from a legal transaction perspective, then the point of the cross becomes what it is done for us. There is a once and for all work of Jesus dying on the cross for our sins and saying it is finished, nothing more to be offered, nothing more to be sacrificed. 
Jesus' death perfectly satisfies God. And we claim that truth as Christians. All has been forgiven. But let me use a slightly different phrase. The phrase, the work of the cross, not merely for us, but in us. The work of the cross in us. There is Jesus' death on our behalf once and for all, but there's an ongoing work of the cross in our hearts and minds, souls and lives. There's an ongoing need to return to the cross, to be, to be reminded of our brokenness and our dependence on God. There is a healing we need from the cross every single day. And that leads me to speak about forgiveness. In one sense, the point of the cross isn't forgiveness. Forgiveness leads to something much bigger, and that is restoration of relationships. God isn't just interested in the covering over of our sins. God wants to make us into the people we were originally created to be. It's not just the removal of what was being held against us. It is God pulling us, shaping us into the people he originally had in mind when he made us. And this restoration is why Jesus always orientates his message around becoming the kind of people who are generous and loving and compassionate. The goal here isn't simply to not sin. Our purpose is to increase the shalom in this world. And that's why I think approaches to the Christian faith that deal solely with not sinning always fail. They aim at the wrong thing. It's not about what you don't do. The point is becoming more and more the kind of people God had in mind when we were first created. It's one thing to be forgiven, it's another thing to become more and more and more and more the person God made you to be. Let me just take this a bit further. If we only have a, the kind of what I call the limited legal transaction understanding of salvation, in which we are forgiven of our sins so that we can go to heaven, then salvation essentially becomes, as it were, a ticket to somewhere else. In this understanding, eternity is something that kicks in when we die. But Jesus and the apostles did not teach this. Jesus said that when we believe, we have crossed over from death to life. God always has been and always will be. And when I enter into a relationship with this God through Christ... I am connected with God now, and I will be connected with God forever. For Jesus, salvation is now. I need a God for now. I need healing now. I need help now. Salvation is for now. And this leads me to speak about another danger of embracing only one dimension of salvation, the legal transaction perspective. You see, when faith is defined solely in legal terms, the dominant idea often becomes something like this, inviting Jesus into your heart. Now, that's a phrase we often hear used in Christian circles. But I want to tell you, 
It's a phrase that is found nowhere in the Bible. Now, now that doesn't mean the phrase is illegitimate. It just means that we have to be careful that we don't adopt ideas that come with it that God did not intend us to have in mind. What do I mean? Well, what I mean is this. The problems come when salvation becomes all about me, about me being saved, about me having my sins forgiven, me being reconciled to God. But the Bible paints a much larger picture of salvation. It describes all of creation being restored. And the author of Ephesians writes this, all things will be brought together under Jesus. And salvation is the entire universe being brought back into harmony with its maker. And this has huge implications, I think, for how people present the message of Jesus. Yes, of course, Jesus can come into our hearts. But we join a movement when we start to follow Jesus that is as wide and deep and big as the universe itself. Rocks, trees, birds, swamps, ecosystems. God's desire is to restore all of it. It's one thing, you see, to be saved, to believe in Jesus. I think it's another thing to be healed. It is possible, we see, to be saved and miserable. It is possible to be saved and not be, as it were, a healthy, whole, life-giving person. It is possible for the cross to have done something for a person, but not in them. Now, let me try and flesh out and try and explain what I'm talking about here. You see, as I reflected on my own life and look back upon the kind of journey that I've been on, the spiritual journey that I've been on, and as I look back upon my experience of being a pastor for over 30 years, I realise that many people believe in Jesus. They have thought of themselves as saved, redeemed, reborn. And yet, I have to say, massive areas of their lives were unaffected, remain unaffected. And the one thing I have learned is that salvation is for all of me. I've learned that Jesus wants to heal my very inner being, what we might call healing of the soul. And for that to happen, I have to stare the junk in my life fully in the face. And there's so much I could say about this, quote, healing of the soul. And in one sense, there are certain areas in my own life where it has only just begun for me. But a few things have become clear for me. First, no amount of success can heal a person's deep inner being, the person's soul. In fact, I would go as far as to say success makes it worse. If you have issues regarding or surrounding your identity, those issues will not go away if you make it, if you are a success. Those issues will be there until they are hunted down and identified and dealt with. We often live under the illusion that when we reach that goal and complete that mission that we have set ourselves, those issues that churn on the inside will go away. That's not true. 
Success doesn't fix anything. We have the same problems, the same compulsions and addictions, only now we have more stress and more problems and more pressure. The second thing I've learned about this healing of the song that Jesus can bring to us is that if we are to find that healing, we have to be honest with ourselves and honest with others. Honest about our weaknesses, honest about the doubts we may have, honest about our failures. And many Christians, it seems to me, are scared to look weak, scared to admit how they feel, scared to admit their doubts. And that's why Paul writes in Colossians something that is so important to understand, and it's this, that that in God's sight, we are chosen, holy, and dearly loved. That's our identity. And uh, not only that, we must seek to build a community, fellowship groups, where real and deep sharing can take place, for only then are we going to find true healing of the soul. Now, there are many layers, I think, to this healing of the soul. And one practice that I think we need to rediscover is the taking of what I call the taking of a Sabbath day. And maybe in this time of lockdown and all the things that are going on, maybe this is one thing we can think about a lot more. I'm not talking about imposing um, the Israelite understanding of the Sabbath, Saturday upon ourselves or doing that on a Sunday and it becoming a kind of legalistic thing. No, not at all. But I'm talking about Sabbath, about taking a day a week to remind myself that I did not make the world, that it will continue to exist without my efforts. Sabbath as a day when my work is done, even if it isn't. Sabbath is a day where my job is to enjoy. Sabbath is a day when I'm fully available to myself and those I love most. Sabbath is a day when I remember that when God made the world, he saw that it was good. Sabbath is a day when I produce nothing. Sabbath is a day when I remind myself that I am not a machine. Sabbath is a day when at the end of it, I say, I didn't do anything today. But I don't add, and I feel so guilty about that. Sabbath is a day when my phone is turned off. I don't check my email. And you can't get hold of me. And Jesus wants, as I say, to heal our our deepest being, heal our souls. He wants to give us the shalom, the peace of God. And so I think we have to stop. We have to slow down. We have to sit still and stare out of the window and just let the engine idle. 
And we have to listen to what our inner voice is saying. Now, what I think I'm trying to say this morning is this. That it is possible to be a good Christian. Go to church services. Sing the right songs. Jump through the right hoops. And yet, never let Jesus heal your soul. I suppose I am also saying that very few people actually live from their heart. Very few people in our society live connected with their innermost being, their soul. But for those few who do the difficult work, who stare the junk in the face, who get counselled, who let Jesus the healer into all the rooms in their soul that no one else goes into. Those people do see a difference. Those people experience the shalom, the many-sided peace of God. Amen.